preface through chapter 3 of Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gord Mitchell. Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 5. Translated by Alexander Roberts and W. H. Rombo. Preface. In the four preceding books, my very dear friend, which I put forth to thee, all the heretics have been exposed, and their doctrines brought to light, and these men refuted who have devised irreligious opinions. I have accomplished this by adducing something from the doctrine peculiar to each of these men, which they have left in their writings, as well as by using arguments of a more general nature and applicable to them all. Then I have pointed out the truth, and shown the preaching of the church, which the prophets proclaimed, as I have already demonstrated, but which Christ brought to perfection, and the apostles have handed down, from whom the church, receiving these truths, and throughout all the world alone preserving them in their integrity, bene, has transmitted them to her sons. Then also, having disposed of all questions which the heretics proposed to us, and having explained the doctrine of the apostles, and clearly set forth many of those things which were said and done by the Lord in parables, I shall endeavor in this, the fifth book of the entire work, which treats of the exposure and refutation of knowledge, falsely so called, to exhibit proofs from the rest of the Lord's doctrine and the apostolic epistles. Thus complying with thy demand, as thou didst request of me, since indeed I have been assigned a place in the ministry of the word, and laboring by every means in my power to furnish thee with large assistance against the contradictions of the heretics, and also to reclaim the wanderers and convert them to the church of God, to confirm at the same time the minds of the neophytes, that they may preserve steadfast the faith which they have received, guarded by the church in its integrity, in order that they be in no way perverted by those who endeavor to teach them false doctrines and lead them away from the truth. It will be incumbent upon thee, however, and all who may happen to read this writing, to peruse with great attention what I have already said, that thou mayest obtain a knowledge of the subjects against which I am contending. For it is thus that thou wilt both controvert them in a legitimate manner, and wilt be able to prepare to receive the proofs brought forward against them, casting away their doctrines as filth by means of the celestial faith, but following the only true and steadfast teacher, the Word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did through his transcendent love become what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. Chapter 1 Christ alone is able to teach divine things, and to redeem us. He, the same, took flesh of the Virgin Mary, not merely in appearance, but actually, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, in order to renovate us. Strictures on the conceits of Valentinus and Ebion. 1. 
For in no other way could we have learned the things of God, unless our Master, existing as the Word, had become man. For no other being had the power of revealing to us the things of the Father, except his own proper word. For what other person knew the mind of the Lord? Or who else has become his counselor? Again, we could have learned in no other way than by seeing our teacher and hearing his voice with our own ears, that, having become imitators of his works as well as doers of his words, we may have communion with him, receiving increase from the perfect one, and from him who is prior to all creation, we who were but lately created by the only best and good being, by him also who has the gift of immortality, having been formed after his likeness, predestinated according to the prescience of the Father, that we who had as yet no existence might come into being, and made the first fruits of creation, have received, in the times known beforehand, the blessings of salvation, according to the ministration of the Word, who is perfect in all things, as the mighty Word, and very man, who, redeeming us by his own blood in a manner consonant to reason, gave himself as a redemption for those who had been led into captivity. And since the apostasy tyrannized over us unjustly, and, though we were by nature the property of the omnipotent God, alienated us contrary to nature, rendering us its own disciples, the word of God, powerful in all things and not defective with regard to his own justice, did righteously turn against that apostasy and redeem from it his own property, not by violent means, as the apostasy had obtained dominion over us at the beginning, when it insatiably snatched away what was not its own, but by means of persuasion, as became a god of counsel, who does not use violent means to obtain what he desires, so that neither should justice be infringed upon, nor the ancient handiwork of God go to destruction. Since the Lord thus has redeemed us through his own blood, giving his soul for our souls and his flesh for our flesh, and has also poured out the Spirit of the Father for the union and communion of God and man, imparting indeed God to men by means of the Spirit, and, on the other hand, attaching man to God by his own incarnation, and bestowing upon us at his coming immortality durably and truly by means of communion with God, all the doctrines of the heretics fall to ruin. 2. Vain indeed are those who allege that he appeared in mere seeming. For these things were not done in appearance only, but in actual reality. But if he did appear as a man, when he was not a man, neither could the Holy Spirit have rested upon him, an occurrence which did actually take place, as the Spirit is invisible. Nor, in that case, was there any degree of truth in him, for he was not that which he seemed to be. But I have already remarked that Abraham and the other prophets beheld him after a prophetical manner, foretelling in vision what should come to pass. If, then, such a being has now appeared in outward semblance, different from what he was in reality, there has been a certain prophetical vision made to men. 
and another advent of his must be looked forward to in which he shall be such as he has now been seen in a prophetic manner and i have proved already that it is the same thing to say that he appeared merely to outward seeming and to affirm that he received nothing from mary for he would not have been one truly possessing flesh and blood by which he redeemed us unless he had summed up in himself the ancient formation of adam vain therefore are the disciples of valentinus who put forth this opinion in order that they may exclude the flesh from salvation and cast aside what god has fashioned three vain also are the ebionites who do not receive by faith into their soul the union of god and man but who remain in the old leaven of the natural birth and who do not choose to understand that the holy ghost came upon mary and the power of the most high did overshadow her wherefore also what was generated is a holy thing and the son of the most high god the father of all who effected the incarnation of this being and showed forth a new kind of generation that as by the former generation we inherited death so by this new generation we might inherit life therefore do these men reject the commixture of the heavenly wine and wish it to be water of the world only not receiving god so as to have union with him but they remain in that adam who had been conquered and was expelled from paradise not considering that as at the beginning of our formation in adam that breath of life which proceeded from god having been united to what had been fashioned animated the man and manifested him as being endowed with reason so also in the times of the end the word of the father and the spirit of god having become united with the ancient substance of adam's formation rendered man living and perfect receptive of the perfect father in order that as in the natural adam we all were dead so in the spiritual we may all be made alive for never at any time did adam escape the hands of god to whom the father speaking said let us make man in our image after our likeness and for this reason in the last times not by the will of the flesh nor by the will of man but by the good pleasure of the father his hands formed a living man in order that adam might be created again after the image and likeness of god chapter two when christ visited us in his grace he did not come to what did not belong to him also by shedding his true blood for us and exhibiting to us his true flesh in the eucharist he conferred upon our flesh the capacity of salvation one and vain likewise are those who say that god came to those things which did not belong to him as if covetous of another's property in order that he might deliver up that man who had been created by another to that god who had neither made nor formed anything but who also was deprived from the beginning of his own proper formation of men the advent therefore of him whom these men represent as coming to the things of others was not righteous nor did he truly redeem us by his own blood if he did not really become man restoring to his own handiwork what was said of it in the beginning 
that man was made after the image and likeness of God, not snatching away by stratagem the property of another, but taking possession of his own in a righteous and gracious manner. As far as concerned the apostasy, indeed, he redeems us righteously from it by his own blood. But as regards us who have been redeemed, he does this graciously. For we have given nothing to him previously, nor does he desire anything from us, as if he stood in need of it. But we do stand in need of fellowship with him. And for this reason it was that he graciously poured himself out, that he might gather us into the bosom of the Father. 2. But vain in every respect are they who despise the entire dispensation of God, and disallow the salvation of the flesh, and treat with contempt its regeneration, maintaining that it is not capable of incorruption. But if this indeed does not attain salvation, then neither did the Lord redeem us with his blood, nor is the cup of the Eucharist the communion of his blood, nor the bread which we break the communion of his body. For blood can only come from veins and flesh, and whatsoever else makes up the substance of man, such as the word of God was actually made. By his own blood he redeemed us, as also his apostle declares, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the remission of sins. And, as we are his members, we are also nourished by means of the creation. And he himself grants the creation to us, for he causes his sun to rise and sends rain when he wills. He has acknowledged the cup, which is a part of the creation, as his own blood, from which he bedews our blood. And the bread, also a part of the creation, he has established as his own body, from which he gives increase to our bodies. 3. When, therefore, the mingled cup and the manufactured bread receives the word of God, and the Eucharist of the blood and the body of Christ is made, from which things the substance of our flesh is increased and supported, how can they affirm that the flesh is incapable of receiving the gift of God, which is life eternal, which flesh is nourished from the body and blood of the Lord and is a member of Him? even as the blessed Paul declares in his epistle to the Ephesians that we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. He does not speak these words of some spiritual and invisible man, for a spirit has not bones nor flesh, but he refers to that dispensation by which the Lord became an actual man, consisting of flesh and nerves and bones that flesh which is nourished by the cup which is his blood, and receives increase from the bread which is his body. And just as a cutting from the vine planted in the ground fructifies in its season, or as a corn of wheat falling into the earth and becoming decomposed, rises with manifold increase by the Spirit of God, who contains all things, and then through the wisdom of God serves for the use of men and having received the word of God becomes the Eucharist, which is the body and blood of Christ. So also our bodies, being nourished by it, and deposited in the earth, and suffering decomposition there, shall rise at their appointed time, the word of God granting them resurrection to the glory of God, even the Father, who freely gives to this mortal immortality, and to this corruptible incorruption, 
because the strength of God is made perfect in weakness, in order that we may never become puffed up, as if we had life from ourselves, and exalted against God, our minds becoming ungrateful, but learning by experience that we possess eternal duration from the excelling power of this being, not from our own nature. We may neither undervalue that glory which surrounds God as He is, nor be ignorant of our own nature, but that we may know what God can effect, and what benefits man receives, and thus never wander from the true comprehension of things as they are, that is, both with regard to God and with regard to man. And might it not be the case, perhaps, as I have already observed, that for this purpose God permitted our resolution into the common dust of mortality, that we, being instructed by every mode, may be accurate in all things for the future, being ignorant neither of God nor of ourselves. Chapter 3 The power and glory of God shine forth in the weakness of human flesh, as he will render our body a participator of the resurrection and of immortality, although he has formed it from the dust of the earth, he will also bestow upon it the enjoyment of immortality, just as he grants it this short life in common with the soul. 1. The Apostle Paul has, moreover, in the most lucid manner, pointed out that man has been delivered over to his own infirmity, lest, being uplifted, he might fall away from the truth, Thus he says in the second epistle to the Corinthians, And lest I should be lifted up by the sublimity of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And upon this I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. But he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for strength is made perfect in weakness. Gladly, therefore, shall I rather glory in infirmities, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What, therefore, as some may exclaim, did the Lord wish in that case that his apostles should thus undergo buffeting, and that he should endure such infirmity? Even so it was. The word says it. For strength is made perfect in weakness, rendering him a better man, who by means of his infirmity becomes acquainted with the power of God. For how could a man have learned that he is himself an infirm being, and mortal by nature, but that God is immortal and powerful, unless he had learned by experience what is in both? For there is nothing evil in learning one's infirmities by endurance. Yea, rather, it has even the beneficial effect of preventing him from forming an undue opinion of his own nature. Non aberere in natura sua. But the being lifted up against God, and taking his glory to oneself, rendering man ungrateful, has brought much evil upon him. And thus I say, man must learn both things by experience, that he may not be destitute of truth and love, either towards himself or his Creator. But the experience of both confers upon him the true knowledge as to God and man, and increases his love towards God. Now where there exists an increase of love, there a greater glory is wrought out by the power of God for those who love him. 2. Those men, therefore, set aside the power of God, and do not consider what the word declares, 
when they dwell upon the infirmity of the flesh, but do not take into consideration the power of him who raises it up from the dead. For if he does not vivify what is mortal, and does not bring back the corruptible to incorruption, he is not a god of power. But that he is powerful in all these respects we ought to perceive from our origin, inasmuch as God, taking dust from the earth, formed man. And surely it is much more difficult and incredible from non-existent bones and nerves and veins and the rest of man's organization to bring it about that all this should be, and to make man an animated and rational creature, than to reintegrate again that which had been created and then afterwards decomposed into earth, for the reasons already mentioned. Having thus passed into those elements from which man, who had no previous existence, was formed. For he who, in the beginning, caused him to have being who as yet was not, just when he pleased, shall much more reinstate again those who had a former existence when it is his will that they should inherit the life granted by him. And that flesh shall also be found fit and capable of receiving the power of God, which at the beginning received the skillful touches of God, so that one part became the eye for seeing, another the ear for hearing, another the hand for feeling and working, another the sinews stretched out everywhere and holding the limbs together, another arteries and veins, passages for the blood and the air, another the various internal organs, another the blood, which is the bond of union between soul and body. But why go on in this strain? Numbers would fail to express the multiplicity of parts in the human frame, which was made in no other way than by the great wisdom of God. But those things which partake of the skill and wisdom of God do also partake of his power. 3. The flesh, therefore, is not destitute of participation in the constructive wisdom and power of God. But if the power of him who is the bestower of life is made perfect in weakness, that is, in the flesh, let them inform us when they maintain the incapacity of flesh to receive the life granted by God, whether they do say these things as being living men at present and partakers of life, or acknowledge that having no part in life whatever they are at the present moment dead men. And if they really are dead men, how is it that they move about, and speak, and perform those other functions which are not the actions of the dead, but of the living? But if they are now alive, and if their whole body partakes of life, how can they venture the assertion that the flesh is not qualified to be a partaker of life, when they do confess that they have life at the present moment? It is just as if anybody were to take up a sponge full of water, or a torch on fire, and to declare that the sponge could not possibly partake of the water or the torch of the fire. In this very manner do those men, by alleging that they are alive and bear life about in their members, contradict themselves afterwards, when they represent these members as not being capable of receiving life. But if the present temporal life, which is of such an inferior nature to eternal life, can nevertheless affect so much as to quicken our mortal members. Why should not eternal life, being much more powerful than this, vivify the flesh, which has already held converse with and been accustomed to sustain life? 
for that the flesh can really partake of life is shown from the fact of its being alive, for it lives on as long as it is God's purpose that it should do so. It is manifest, too, that God has the power to confer life upon it, inasmuch as he grants life to us who are in existence. And therefore, since the Lord has power to infuse life into what he has fashioned, and since the flesh is capable of being quickened, what remains to prevent its participation in incorruption, which is a blissful and never-ending life granted by God? End of Book 5 Preface through Chapter 3 Recording by Gord Mitchell www.gordonsvoice.com